Section 7 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Wilford. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 2, by James Boswell. Section 7. 1771, Etat 62. In 1771, he published another political pamphlet, entitled Thoughts on the Late Transactions Respecting Falklands Islands, in which, upon materials furnished to him by ministry, and upon general topics expanded in his richest style, he successfully endeavored to persuade the nation that it was wise and laudable to suffer the question of right to remain undecided, rather than involve our country in another war. It has been suggested by some, with what truth I shall not take upon me to decide, that he rated the consequence of those islands to Great Britain too low. But however this may be, every humane mind must surely applaud the earnestness with which he averted the calamity of war, a calamity so dreadful that it is astonishing how civilized, nay, Christian nations can deliberately continue to renew it. His description of its miseries in this pamphlet is one of the finest pieces of eloquence in the English language. Upon this occasion, too, we find Johnson lashing the party in opposition with unbounded severity, and making the fullest use of what he ever reckoned a most effectual argumentative instrument, contempt. His character of their very able mysterious champion, Junius, is executed with all the force of his genius, and finished with the highest care. He seems to have exulted in sallying forth to single combat against the boasted and formidable hero who bade defiance to principalities and powers and the rulers of this world. This pamphlet, it is observable, was softened in one particular. After the first edition, for the conclusion of Mr. George Greenville's character stood thus, let him not, however, be depreciated in his grave. He had powers not universally possessed. Could he have enforced payment of the Manila ransom? He could have counted it, which, instead of retaining its sly, sharp point, was reduced to a mere flat, unmeaning expression, or, if I may use the word, truism. He had powers not universally possessed, and if he sometimes erred, he was likewise sometimes right. To Bennett Langston, Esquire, Dear Sir, After much lingering of my own, and much of the ministry, I have at length got out my paper, but delay is not yet at an end. Not many had been dispersed, before Lord North ordered the sale to stop. His reasons I do not distinctly know. You may try to find them in the perusal. Before his order, a sufficient number were dispersed to do all the mischief, though, perhaps, not to make all the sport that might be expected from it. Soon after your departure, I had the pleasure of finding all the danger past with which your navigation was threatened. I hope nothing happens at home to abate your satisfaction, but that Lady Ross and Miss Langton and the young ladies are all well. I was late night at the club. Dr. Piercy had written a long ballad in many fits. It is pretty enough. He has printed and will soon publish it. Goldsmith is at Bath with Lord Clare. At Mr. Thrall's, where I am now writing, all are well. I am, dear sir, your most humble servant, Sam Johnson, March twentieth, seventeen seventy one. Mr. Strahan, the printer, who had been long in intimacy with Johnson in the course of his literary labors, 
who was at once his friendly agent in receiving his pension for him, and his banker in supplying him with money when he wanted it, who was himself now a member of Parliament, and who loved much to be employed in political negotiations, thought he should do eminent service both to government and Johnson, if he could be the means of his getting a seat in the House of Commons. With this view, he wrote a letter to one of the secretaries of the Treasury, of which he gave me a copy in his own handwriting, which is as follows. Sir, you will easily recollect, when I had the honor of waiting upon you some time ago, I took the liberty to observe to you that Dr. Johnson would make an excellent figure in the House of Commons, and heartily wished he had a seat there. My reasons are briefly these. I know his perfect good affection to his majesty and his government, which I am certain he wishes to support by every means in his power. He possesses a great share of manly, nervous, and ready eloquence, is quick in discerning the strength and weakness of an argument, can express himself with clearness and precision, and fears the face of no man alive. His known character, as a man of extraordinary sense and unimpeached virtue, would secure him the attention of the house, and could not fail to give him a proper weight there. He is capable of the greatest application, and can undergo any degree of labor where he sees it necessary, and where his heart and affections are strongly engaged. His Majesty's ministers might therefore securely depend on his doing, upon every proper occasion, the utmost that could be expected from him. They would find him ready to vindicate such measures as tended to promote the stability of government, and resolute and steady in carrying them into execution. Nor is anything to be apprehended from the supposed impetuousness of his temper. To the friends of the king you will find him a lamb, to his enemies a lion. For these reasons I humbly apprehend that he would be a very able and useful member, and I will venture to say the employment would not be disagreeable to him, and knowing, as I do, his strong affection to the king, his ability to serve him in that capacity, and the extreme ardor with which I am convinced he would engage in that service, I must repeat that I wish most heartily to see him in the house. If you think this worthy of attention, you will be pleased to take a convenient opportunity of mentioning it to Lord North. If his lordship should happily approve of it, I shall have the satisfaction of having been, in some degree, the humble instrument of doing my country, in my opinion, a very essential service. I know your good nature, and your zeal for the public welfare, and will plead my excuse for giving you this trouble. I am, with the greatest respect, sir, your most obedient and humble servant, William Strahan, New Street, March 30th, 1771. This recommendation, we know, was not effectual, but how or for what reason can only be conjectured. It is not to be believed that Mr. Strahan would have applied unless Johnson had approved of it. I never heard him mention the subject, but at a later period of his life, when Sir Joshua Reynolds told him that Mr. Edmund Burke had said that if he had come early into Parliament, he certainly would have been the greatest speaker that ever was there. Johnson exclaimed, I shall like to try my hand now. It has been much agitated amongst his friends and others whether he would have been a powerful speaker in Parliament had he been brought in when advanced in life. I am inclined to think that his extensive knowledge, his quickness and force of mind, his vivacity and richness of expression, his wit and humor, and above all his poignancy of sarcasm, would have had great effect in popular assembly. 
and that the magnitude of his figure and the striking peculiarity of his manner would have aided the effect but i remember it was observed by mr flood that johnson having been long used to sententious brevity and the short flights of conversation might have failed in that continued and expanded kind of argument which is requisite in stating complicated manners in public speaking and as a proof of this he mentioned the supposed speeches in parliament written by him for the magazine none of which in his opinion were at all like real debates the opinion of one who was himself so eminent an orator must be allowed to have great weight it was confirmed by sir william scott who mentioned that johnson had told him that he had several times tried to speak in the society of arts and sciences but had found he could not get on from mr william gerard hamilton i have heard that johnson when observing to him that it was prudent for a man who had not been accustomed to speak in public to begin his speech in as simple a manner as possible acknowledged that he rose in that society to deliver a speech which he had prepared but said he all my flowers of oratory forsook me i however cannot help wishing that he had tried his hand in parliament and i wonder that ministry did not make the experiment i at length renewed a correspondence which had been too long discontinued to dr johnson edinburgh april eighteenth seventeen seventy one my dear sir i can now fully understand those intervals of silence in your correspondence with me which had often given me anxiety and uneasiness for although i am conscious that my veneration and love for mr johnson have never in the least abated yet i have deferred for almost a year and a half to write to him in the subsequent part of this letter i gave him an account of my comfortable life as a married man and a lawyer in practice at the scotch bar invited him to scotland and promised to attend him to the highlands and the hebrides to james boswell esq dear sir if you are now able to comprehend that i might neglect to write without diminution of affection you have taught me likewise how that neglect may be uneasily felt without resentment i wished for your letter a long time and when it came it amply recompensed the delay i never was so much pleased as now with your account of yourself and the sincerely hope that between public business improving studies and domestic pleasures neither melancholy nor caprice will find any place for entrance whatever philosophy may determine of material nature it is certainly true of intellectual nature that it abhors a vacuum our minds cannot be empty and evil will break in upon them if they are not preoccupied by good my dear sir mind your studies mind your business make your lady happy and be a good christian after this Tristitium et medis, tridus portivus in mar critidium portera ventis. If we perform our duty, we shall be safe and ready. Seve per. Whether we climb the highlands or are tossed among the Hebrides, and I hope the time will come when we may try our powers both with cliffs and water, I see but little of Lord Ellibank. I know not why, perhaps by my own fault. I am this day going into Stratfordshire and Derbyshire for six weeks. I am, dear sir, your most affectionate and most humble servant, Sam Johnson, London, June twentieth, seventeen seventy one. To Sir Joshua Reynolds in Leicesterfields, dear sir, when I came to Leechville, I found that my portrait had been much visited and much admired, 
every man has a lurking wish to appear considerable in his native place and i was pleased with the dignity conferred by such a testimony of your regard be pleased therefore to accept the thanks of sir your most obliged and most humble servant sam johnson ashbourne in derbyshire july seventeenth seventeen seventy one compliments to miss reynolds to dr johnson edinburgh july twenty seventh seventeen seventy one my dear sir the bearer of this mr beattie professor of moral philosophy at aberdeen is desirous of being introduced to your acquaintance his genius and learning and labors in the service of virtue and religion render him very worthy of it and as he has a high esteem of your character i hope you will give him a favorable reception i ever am james boswell to bennett langston esq at langston near spilby lincolnshire dear sir i am lately returned from Staffordshire and derbyshire the last letter mentioned two others which you have written to me since you received my pamphlet of these two i never had but one in which you mentioned a design of visiting scotland and by consequent put my journey to langston out of my thoughts my summer wanderings are now over and i am engaging in a very great work the revision of my dictionary from which i know not at present how to get loose if you had observed or been told any errors or omissions you will do me a great favor by letting me know them lady ross i find has disappointed you and herself ladies will have these tricks the queen and mr Rawl, both ladies of experience yet both missed her reckoning this summer i hope a few months will recompense your uneasiness please to tell lady ross how highly i value the honor of her invitation which it is my purpose to obey as soon as i have disengaged myself in the meantime i shall hope to hear often of her ladyship and every day better news and better till i hear that you have both the happiness which to both is very sincerely wished by sir your most affectionate and most humble servant sam johnson august twenty ninth seventeen seventy one in october i again wrote to him thanking him for his last letter and his obliging reception of mr beattie informing him that i had been at alnwick lately and had good accounts of him from dr percy in his religious record of this year we observed that he was better than usual both in body and mind and better satisfied with the regularity of his conduct but he is still trying his ways too rigorously he charges himself with not rising early enough yet he mentions what was surely a sufficient excuse for this supposing it to be a duty seriously required as he all his life appears to have thought it one great hindrance is want of rest my nocturnal complaints grow less troublesome towards morning i am tempted to repair the deficiencies of the night alas how hard would it be if this indulgence were to be imputed to a sick man as a crime in this retrospect on the following easter eve he says when i review the last year i am able to recollect so little done that shame and sorrow though perhaps too weakly came upon me had he been judging any one else in the same circumstances how clear would he have been on the favorable side how very difficult in my opinion almost constitutionally impossible it was for him to be raised early even by the strongest resolutions appears from a note in one of his little paper books containing words arranged for his dictionary written i suppose about seventeen fifty three 
I do not remember that since I left Oxford I ever rose early by mere choice, but once or twice at Edel, and two or three times for the Rambler, I think he had fair ground enough to have quieted his mind on this subject, by concluding that he was physically incapable of what is at best but a commodious regulation. End of section 7 Recorded by Ben Wilford of Jackson, Tennessee